Would you pray with me? Father, we do ask for your Holy Spirit this morning to open and fulfill the purposes of your word, that you would transform us by your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, please be seated. Well, good morning again. It's good to see you. Um, We have been, if you've been online or in person over these last few weeks since Easter, we have been preaching this entire Easter season about ways in which we are alive in Christ. What kind of difference does the resurrection make for you and me in our day to day? Because Jesus is resurrected from the dead, because he ascends and sits at the right hand of God in heaven, his father, how then do we live as well? And Jesus gives us an answer to this question in our gospel reading this morning. Just to to lay the groundwork, it's the same place we were last week. Jesus is in the midst of giving some parting words to the disciples Before his death, before his crucifixion, therefore before the resurrection and the eventual ascension, he's going to leave them for a while and he's preparing them for this place where they won't be with him in person. And it's going to feel like a long time. In fact, it's going to feel like a long time because it is a long time. Because surprise, you and I, we're living in the same place the disciples would be after the ascension. We are waiting for Jesus' return in glory and to fully realize the new kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth. And so Jesus is giving them some instructions to prepare them for this place and time. How do you live when I'm no longer physically with you? That's what he's, he's telling them. And it's clearly an important question. How do we know that we are alive in him when we are not with him? And so last week, Chris looked at chapter 14, where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, that is the divine spirit of God, God himself, presence living in our hearts, empowering the God-centered life, And then at the beginning of John chapter 15, Jesus gives them some more instructions. He introduces a metaphor, which you may be familiar with, the metaphor of the vine and the branches. And Jesus says, uh, he is the vine. He says, the disciples, they're the branches. And this this is happening before our passage this morning, so we'll get there in just a second. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And God the Father is the gardener. He's the vine dresser. He's the one who takes care of the plant. And in John chapter 15, verse 4, he says this, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit apart from the vine, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is Jesus' message. Abide in me is his instruction. And the disciples, they cannot bear fruit Fruit that matters, fruit as we see in our passage this morning that that lasts, they can't do it without remaining connected to Jesus. Stay in me, Jesus says, and I will stay in you. And so if you want to be truly alive, if you want to truly live every day, then you have to remain in Jesus and you also have to keep in mind that you are meant to bear fruit. And so now we pick up in our reading this morning, in the middle of chapter 15, Jesus makes this point in verse 11. These things, all the things that I've spoken to you, that 
I've said to you so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete, that your joy might be full, he says. I'm telling you these things, Jesus says, says, if you remain in me and I remain in you, if you abide in me, if you make your home in me, and I promise I'm going to stay with you, then that is the way in which my joy gets to be in you and that your joy is full. Friends, you can have perfect, full, complete, abundant joy every day of your life. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what Jesus wants the disciples to know. Jesus is giving the secret to a full life of joy. And who doesn't want to live that way, right? I do. I mean, I went to the internet, always a dangerous plan, right? Um, I went to internet and searched how to be happy. This is an endless exercise. And so I'm just reading down the first page. It's 15 ways to be happy, 31 ways to be happy, 100 ways to be happy. Now, I don't know about you, but 100 things, this doesn't make me joyful or happy. This makes me anxious and exhausted. But here's the reality, is that it's something we all want to know. And we... In fact, in our life, expend incredible amounts of time and energy and money to create moments of joy. I mean, think of that fantastic vacation you planned and had pre-COVID or the one that you're hoping to have later on. All the energy and moment and money to have a moment when you say, ah, this is what life, this is what living is about, right? Oh, wasn't that great? And then only, you know, we return back to our normal, more mundane lives that aren't always full of joy. And we go, oh, I'm not against the great vacations and I'm not against the work and jobs and mundane things. But what I'm saying is that we, hey, those things, they don't always produce joy in us. Not joy that lasts. And Jesus says, here's the way that you have joy that lasts. I know some of you this morning have been creating some moments of joy today, right? It's Mother's Day. Uh, Beautiful moments of honoring your mom. You know, when I was a kid, my mom is now with Jesus. But when I was a kid, I would uh, get some flowers for her. I'd ride my bike up to to the pig, you know, with $5. And I'd buy her a corsage. Nowadays, there's not a pig. $5 doesn't buy a corsage. And I don't really ride my bike. Um, But I would give her flowers, We always went to church, but some people uh, on Mother's Day, this is the day to go to church with mom. Some people provide a clean house, right? Or how about this story about a mom on Mother's Day? Her two children come running upstairs and insist that she stay in bed on Mother's Day. And there she lay resting in the bed, looking forward to breakfast in bed, right? She smelled the bacon, she smelled uh, the smells wafting up from the kitchen, and she waited, and she waited, and she waited. And so finally, she's a little concerned and a little curious, and she goes downstairs to investigate. And there she finds both of her children sitting at the table eating bacon and eggs. And they looked up and they went, surprise, as a Mother's Day gift, we decided to cook our own breakfast. 
Uh, this is a moment of partial joy, right? If you're a parent out there, I mean, I've watched enough parents in life. It's a moment of partial joy. Man, my kids are growing up. They can now sustain themselves and cook their own meal and not burn down the house. That's reason for joy. But on Mother's Day, there was this moment where they kind of just stopped short of the joy that she was hoping for, right? I wonder this morning, where do you find your joy? Have you really found it? Jesus is going to reveal the secrets of living a life full of joy. He said these things so that he might put his joy in you and that your joy might be overflowing and full. I want to make three points. They're going to use the words AOL. If you remember that uh, once great internet company that is now relegated to I don't know where, but it's going to use, I'm going to shape our uh, three points this morning by AOL. The words are abide, obey, and love. Will you say those with me? Abide, obey, and love. AOL. Here are the secrets to a full life. If you want to experience full joy, then you must abide in Jesus. Verse 9, our first verse at the top of your screen says this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The word abide can mean make your home in. Uh, uh, Live out your whole life in that place. Abide in my love. And I want you to note a couple of things. First is is the completeness of Jesus' love for the disciples. He loves the disciples and he loves you in the same way that God the Father loves him. Now, take a minute to draw this in, how remarkable this fact is, is that the eternal God the Father has love for his eternal son. It's perfect. It's amazing. You would expect that, right? He's perfection. He's glory. glory. He's God himself. But what Jesus says is that I've loved you the same way that he loved me. There's no second uh, grade, second tier, second class kind of love that he's loving you with. If you have uh, received him, if you will receive him, that he will love you with perfect love. That's the first thing. Second, Jesus is the one who gives you the love. You don't have to go searching for it in other places, right? Like that old country song, looking for love in all the wrong places. The right place, the only place to find the perfect love, the abundant love, the amazing love is in Jesus. It is the perfect place for you to fulfill your desire to be loved. It is the perfect place for everybody in the world. The only place you find this perfect love is in Jesus. Third, in order for your joy to be complete, you have to abide in that love. You must remain in it. And if you don't, then you won't experience it. Um, Recently, a few months ago, just as the spring was happening, Rachel and I decided we would stimulate the economy by purchasing a Japanese maple tree. We had been just gotten one of the stimulus checks. Half of it went to our geriatric cat. And the other half, we decided that we would spend on a tree and we planted it. And we bought it um, at the nursery as the buds were on the tips of the limbs but they hadn't bloomed yet. And so as I was planting it, I broke one of the small limbs partially. Now imagine it's sort of 
bent and then half of it split so that the ends were just sticking up. And there was just this little bit, right, that kept, kept connected to the whole tree. Amazingly, the bud exploded with new life. But then, I'm not sure what I was thinking. I decided, well, maybe if I just bind this thing together, that that stuff will grow back together, and somehow this limb will stay alive. It didn't. It's now dead. It's completely dead. And it's sitting on the tree. I should have cut it and brought it to you, because it's no use anymore to me. But how many of us, in our desire to find the love of Christ, the joy of Christ, we come uh, on Sunday... But then somewhere along the way in the week, we fail to abide in that love, and it becomes dry and empty and not very meaningful. See, we're not meant to live bifurcated lives where our spiritual life is separate and distinct from our work life, and it's separate and distinct from our home life. I mean, no offense intended, but it's really, it becomes a waste of time if the love of Christ doesn't affect all areas of our life. We fail to apply the great love of Jesus, the great purposes of Jesus, the great redemptions of Jesus. From the pl- we fail to apply it into the most important places in our life, the places that most need it, our day-to-day. So when we don't abide in Christ or remain in him, the bloom of faith, the signs of life, they're going to slowly fade and die. So what is the secret to abiding in him? The secret is the O, obey. How do you abide in him? By obeying his commands. It's not just some sentimental love. Jesus says love is expressed in moral obedience. So there's a theologian named D.A. Carson, and he said this, However much God's love for us is gracious and undeserved, continued enjoyment of that love turns at least in part on our response to it. What do we do with the love? That's the way we continue to enjoy it. It's not just, oh, I know that I'm loved, but what do I actually do with it, he's saying. Do we go beyond kind of the emotional, simple, mushy feelings and sentimentality? Do we go to the heart of the Christian life? Do you want to find that joy in its fullest sense? And here's how he says in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. See, obedience is the key to abiding in him, regardless of the way you might feel at any one moment in time, because our love, our experience of love, the emotional love varies, right? But we know that it's real when it alters the way we live our life. The love of Christ becomes real to us when it changes how we live. Jesus says in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. See, he's saying, you are my friends. And friendships have all kinds of markers, right? But he gives us three in this passage. First, friends spend time with one another, right? That's the, at the heart of abiding in Christ. You actually spend some time with him uh, or spend a lot of time with him, right? Friends spend time with one another. Friends also have intimate knowledge of one another, right? You know all kinds of details about your closest friends' lives. And Jesus says in verse 15, I don't call you servants any longer, for the servant doesn't know what the master is thinking. 
But I have told you everything that my Father has made known. I have made it known to you. You see, you're not a servant of Jesus. He's told you everything, and you are his friends. Friends spend time with one another. They have intimate knowledge of each other. And then finally, friends make sacrifices for one another. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says that the proof of our friendship is that you do what I ask you to do. That you love one another. Love turns, as D.A. Carson says, on your response to this love. So what is the response Jesus desires? It's love. A-O-L. Abide, obey, love. Jesus' command is singular. Love. The secret to overflowing joy in your life is to practice that love. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. It's in particular, he's saying, we are to love one another in the church, among the disciples, between us who make our home in this community of Christ. Jesus will, of course, tell us to love the world, to make disciples of the world, uh, to love our neighbors beyond the church. There's no question about it. But in this case, his emphasis is among the disciples. What are you going to do when I'm gone? But to love one another, to continue on what I've done with you and what I've done for you. And it's not just some, you know, sort of like... Uh, 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 you know, love that's like a void of any real connection. It's like like what dudes say to each other, like, I love you, man. Ugh. Right? Um, I think I just bruised myself. Um, you know, that's how like guys do it. No, it's about love that is sacrificial. Eugene Peterson translates verse 13 in a great way that captures, I think, what he's saying. If you want to abide in Jesus' love and you want to obey his command to love one another, this is how he translates verse 13. It's from the message. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. So where might we put our life on the line for our friends? You know what? You might... Open your home to host a life group. That doesn't mean leading a life group, just hosting a life group. Make space for your friends to come encounter the love of Jesus. Or you might be a leader on a youth ministry uh, trip. Doesn't mean that you have to do it ongoing, but it's a, a you go to a camp and find joy in that. Or perhaps you read the email that I sent out on Friday about um, uh, one of our life groups how they were loving one another with our church friends in India. They said, why don't, uh, why don't we collect the prayers and uh, take the prayers of our church and send them off to India so that the church might be encouraged and built up, right? They were loving one another because love isn't just what's happening in this church community. It's what's happening in the other buildings at Holy Cross and the other campus of Holy Cross. It's what's happening around the church throughout the Charleston area. It's what's happening between you and me and our friends in India and Pakistan and Honduras and all over the world. See, loving one another is much broader than just, oh, what do we do? But it starts right here. You know what? 
it starts right here. The reason Jesus, I think, tells us to love one another is, one, it shows how much we love him if it alters our life. But two, it's, this becomes the practice ground for loving the world. How do we learn to love the world? Well, we are in the church together and we learn to love one another. You in a family, you, if you have a family, you know this. If you're in a marriage, if you have siblings or uh, or in a close community of people, you learn to love by being loving to the people closest to you. And here you can learn by serving on Sundays, writing an encouraging card, taking a meal to somebody who has had a new baby or is grieving. You can uh, help and love through Echo. You can help and give generously in other ways. The possibilities and opportunities are endless. And in any one of them, you're helping others know the love of Jesus and helping others to grow as his disciples. I read a story about a woman and her husband who were forced into a whole home renovation as their house, their old house, crumbled around them. And they moved themselves and their kids into one room while they gutted the rest of the house. They rewired it, they replumbed it, they put new HVAC in it, they put new walls up. And on top of this, in the middle of it, she found out that she was pregnant with another child. Talk about a stressor, right? This is what she wrote. It was a challenging year, being pregnant and having all of those hardships. But I had a friend. She wasn't just any friend. She was a living example of what Jesus says in John 15. She brought us meals every week for a year. I would go to the bank and find that she had made a deposit into our account. She would mow our grass. She would call other friends to come and help us get the day-to-day labor done. If there was a job to be done, she did it. She lived out the example of being a servant in front of our kids every day. And one day she asked her friend Jackie, she said, Jackie, why are you doing all of this when you don't even own your own house? And she paused for a while and then said, why would you ask that? Isn't this what Christ tells us to do for our friends? The woman said, what could I say in response to that? It is what Christ expects us to do. But so few of us take him literally. I never deserved such a friend. I think that's what touched my heart the most. She was a living example of how Christ laid down his life for us. You know, friends, she's right. We don't deserve such a friend. We don't deserve the love of Jesus. But he still laid down his life for us. That's the type of friend we have in the Lord. The type of friend he commands us to be. And the key to having full joy is to love other people the exact same way that he loves us. Mother Teresa wrote this. She said, a joyful heart is the normal result of a heart burning with love. She gives most who gives with joy. I want to encourage you to give most, to give love and find joy. Let's pray.
Jesus, thank you for loving us when we were least lovable. May your love come to rule our lives. May we abide in it. And Lord, would you show us the clear opportunities you give us to love one another today and this week? And would you give us the strength and the power to obey what you command and love one another? Lord, would you fill us with joy that comes from abiding in you, obeying in you, and loving like you do? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.